Good morning to everyone who is joining us this morning. Whether you're here in person or you're joining us online, we are so glad you're here and we hope you had a Merry Christmas. My name is Dylan Braddock and I serve as the student coordinator here at The Story. I am so glad to be with you this morning. Can you guys believe that Christmas was two days ago? I honestly cannot. It seems crazy to think that two days ago was Christmas. As my job title suggests, I hang out with a lot of our middle school and high school students. And a week ago, we had our own Christmas party right here at the story. And I know from firsthand experience the chaos that can ensue when you have unchecked amounts of sugar and Christmas presents. It was a lot, but we, we, we had a lot of fun. And I hope your holidays were the same way. I hope there were days full of joy and maybe a little bit of peace mixed in along the way. I know peace can sometimes be hard to find. In fact, your home might have looked like this two days ago. video. I love how the little sister is equally excited with her brother, even though her brother will probably never let her play the N64. I love how the mom, like halfway through, you may have missed it, but she very calmly says, I think they're excited as the son is like thrashing the N64. And at the very end of the video, this portion cut it off. But at the end, the boy's like, I'm so excited. I can go to Blockbuster now and rent video games. For those of you who don't know about Blockbuster, that's another story for another time. But you know, I, I can relate to these siblings, and you might relate to, to these siblings as well, especially when I was their age. I mean, I loved Christmas. I loved the candy canes, the hot chocolate, the Christmas lights, the movie Elf, all of it. And my birthday also happens to be on December 11th. So the whole month of Christmas was a season of joy, an eager expectation, not necessarily for the birth of Jesus, but for the presence that would come with it. And most of us now know that Christmas is about more than just the presence. But I still think we all fall into this trap where our whole Christmas season culminates or climaxes with us unwrapping our gifts. And after we're done, we don't know what to do next, right? Like you open your presents and you're like, what now? right? The 26th and the 27th roll around, your family leaves, all you have left is empty boxes, dishes to wash, and Christmas lights to take down. And you have this like weird Christmas hangover. And you wonder like, what's next? Where do we go from here? Did I miss something this holiday season? Today, to answer this question, we are going to look in our Bibles and we are going to look at the story of some of the most neglected people in the Christmas story. And those people, in my opinion, are the wise men. 
Even though the wise men were the original gift givers, we often kind of leave their story on the side and just talk about the shepherds and the angels. But I believe the story of the wise men or the magi can give us great insight on how we can move forward this year and go into 2020 the right way. So before we get started, we need to talk a little bit about our Bibles and talk about the two different birth narratives we get, one in the Gospel of Matthew and the second in the Gospel of Luke. Now, these stories do give us different perspectives and different details, but they do not contradict. Let me explain. So in Luke, we get kind of Mary's perspective on the birth of Jesus. Mary talks about finding out that she's pregnant. She talks about going to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. She talks about the journey all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem on a donkey and them not being able to find a place to stay. And Matthew, which is Joseph's perspective, basically summarizes all of that in two verses. He says, Mary got pregnant and Mary had a baby. (laughs) Classic guy's explanation, right? The girl goes into all the details and Joseph just says, yep, she had a baby. But today we are going to be looking only at the book of Matthew because Matthew is where we learn about the Magi from the East. So let's start with Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. So to start today, we are going to actually begin with a little debunking so we can establish who the real magi or wise men were. And when I say the word wise men, you probably already have this classic nativity scene image in your head. Here's one that my wife helped me draw sometime this week. And you have, you see, you have the classic picture, you have the wise men with their, with their crowns on, and you have their beautiful presence. And in the middle, you have the nativity scene with the star and the shepherds and the donkey and the sheep. And this is how we usually think of the wise men. But I hate to say it, this probably isn't actually what this scene looked like. And let's start with the wise men. Why are they wearing crowns? Were they kings? The word for magi in our New Testament is magos. And even though we often translate this to magi, to wise men, a more correct definition is magi. Because you see, magos is the same root word for the word we have for magic. So a more proper definition of magi would be sage, magician, or astrologer. So we have no reason to believe these men were kings and they probably weren't wearing crowns. So let's have a second version of this picture with no crowns this time. So this looks a little better, right? The magi are still there, but they have no crowns on. But there's also another problem. As I said, the stories of the shepherds and of the donkey and all of that, that's found in Luke, not Matthew. The story of Luke tells about the day Jesus was born. But Matthew tells a story about after Jesus was born. So I hate to say it, but as Eric said on Christmas Eve, the Magi were not in the room when Jesus was born. So you can take your Magi out of your nativity scene and put them in the neighboring room. 
because that's probably where they were. So no shepherds, no angels. Here's a third version. The Magi are looking a little lonely now, right? There's no, there's no other people there. But this is a little closer to being accurate. The only problem is that Jesus is still a baby. And the truth is, when the Magi visited Jesus, Jesus was no longer a child. Some scholars think he was almost two years old. So Jesus is probably running around the house, trying to talk, doing all those things when the Magi brought their very valuable gifts. They were now in a house. So this picture is the closest one so far, right? We have the Magi. Jesus is in the house. You can see little baby Jesus in the upstairs window. But there's still one thing we need to correct. How many wise men were there? We all assume three, right? Because of the three gifts they bring, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But the text never actually says the number three. Most scholars think it could have been a massive caravan. So it could have been one, two, three, six, 20, 50, 100 magi. We have no clue how many there were. So here's our last picture. And this one, I think we have seven or eight wise men. And this is probably the closest picture we've had so far. But the truth is, we don't know what this scene looked like. So with so much misinformation and unknowns, what do we really know about these mysterious magi from the East? The answer is not a ton. We think they are from Persia, maybe modern-day Iran or Iraq. We think they could have been followers of the Zoroastrian faith, which is this crazy belief in a good God and a bad God waging war on earth. Or some just think they were typical polytheists who believed in multiple gods ruling the earth. What's clear is that these magis were not good Jews who knew their Torah. In fact, they may have never heard of the God of Abraham until this moment. Instead, these men studied the skies. They were astrologers, which was a powerful science of the day. In fact, astrology was thought to be the most powerful form of science in antiquity. And people believed by tracking the stars and by tracking the planets that one could predict future events and call for the rise and fall of kings. And this is why Herod is so concerned when he meets the Magi, because these Magi are coming saying, hey, we're following a star and we're looking for the king. Do you know him? And Herod, of course, is upset because he thinks, oh no, these Magi are saying my rule and reign is about to be over. But what's even more crazy is that these Magi were right. They saw the coming of Jesus. They saw the coming of the Jewish Messiah before Herod even saw it. Before Jerusalem's own wise men and prophets and teachers of the law saw it, the Magi knew. And that is the first thing that I think the story of the Magi teaches us. And that is that God uses whoever he wants, however he wants, and these are often not the people we expect. But how awesome is it that, that God can use anyone to bring about his glory, that God can invite people like foreign pagan magi to meet Jesus. It reminds us that the faith we follow is not a Jewish faith or American faith, but it's a faith for everyone. And no matter who you are or what you've done or where you come from, 
all of us can come down and bow at the feet of Jesus. But the thing that fascinates me even more than the Magi is this star they followed in the night. Like, where did the star come from? And this week, it also made me think, like, if God could use a star to lead people to him, what other unusual things could God, lead to, could God use today to lead people to him? Because while I believe, while I believe that God's truth remains unchanged throughout time, I believe that our means of sharing it does change as time and technologies change. I mean, think about Christian history, right? You have the early church. You have people like Paul going all throughout the world, sharing the gospel and writing letters that are read to whole congregations. And then you fast forward a couple thousand years later, and you have the Reformation. And they have this powerful new technology called the printing press. So for the first time, they're able to print their, liter- print their letters and send them to people, as well as translate the Bible for the first time in a language people can read for themselves. That was a game changer, and it changed the way Christianity was spread. And if we even go to more modern day, think about the first and, great, first and second great awakenings in America and the religious revivals of the 1950s and 60s. God used great speakers like Billy Graham to lead these massive revivals in tents and parking lots and stadiums all across the world to lead people to Christ. Now, many believers today mourn as some of these more traditional methods, such as revivals, seem to no longer be as effective. They blame this new godless generation for not being spiritual or the evils of TikTok. But part of me wonders if people have just changed their opinions or changed the ways they experience the gospel. I mean, think about this hypothetical. Say you have a friend who has doubts and questions about God, and they're seeking, and they're hungry, and they want answers. And you invite them this July to a parking lot in the middle of Houston where a traveling evangelist is going to come in for one day, share the gospel, and leave. Do you think your friend would come to that event? I mean, I mean, maybe, I'm not sure, but I feel like that's a hard ask. But imagine the same friend who's having doubts and questions about God also has an hour-long commute to work every day. What if you said, hey man, instead of listening to sports radio or talk radio this morning, check out this podcast or check out the sermon my pastor gave last weekend. I think this will really speak to you. I think they'd be much more likely to take up that opportunity than go into a classic revival. So the problem is not that God is no longer speaking or that this generation is lost, but maybe God's means of sharing the gospel have changed with the times. A couple months ago, a few prayer volunteers and I started a prayer group that meets online for a time of silent reflection and centering prayer. When we started this group, we had no idea who would sign up or if anyone would even come. So we did registrations. And along the way, I saw a man named Alex from Switzerland signed up to join us. And I'd never met Alex, and I had no idea how he was in Switzerland, but I didn't really think much of it. But at our first meeting, Alex came, and I could tell he had an accent. And he was very generous and very grateful for, allowing us, for, for us allowing him to be there. 
I was like, of course, man. Like, I'm glad you joined us. I'm so glad you were here. And that was kind of the end of it. But after we hung up on the Zoom call, I kept thinking more and more about Alex. I'm like, who is this guy from Switzerland? And how did he find our random prayer group? Like maybe he was a member of the story a couple of years ago, or maybe he's a displaced Houstonian now living overseas. So I sent him an email that morning just saying, hey, what's up, Alex? Like, what's your story? How did you find out about the story? I sent the email, went to bed, and woke up the next day to a surprise. Alex said he's never lived in Houston. He's only visited the States a couple times, living in Dallas for a couple of years. And he had never heard of the story until a couple of months ago. What was even more remarkable is his journey on how he found the story. Check this out. So he was watching a video with Kurt Thompson on the Trinity Forum. It's a YouTube page, and they were interviewing Kurt Thompson about the topic of shame, which Kurt is an expert on. And he liked the video so much that he went on a YouTube rabbit trail, which, be honest, we've all been on. And he looked up multiple videos of Kurt Thompson talking about shame and other topics. Through this, he came upon one video with Kurt Thompson and Eric Huffman talking about shame. Through this, he found the Maybe God podcast featuring Eric interviewing Kurt Thompson. Then he typed in Eric to Google, like we all do when we have questions. And then he found the story website and learned about our community. Through that, he went to the prayer and care page and found our Centering Prayer Group. And even though he lives in Switzerland and knows no one in our congregation, he signed up to join us in prayer on Thursday mornings. Well, for us, Thursday mornings. For him, it's sometime on Thursday afternoons. And Alex has now joined us for most of our meetings this semester, and he says it has helped him rekindle his faith in this trying year. I was talking to Alex this week over email, asking if I could share his story. And he shared this quote that I want to share with you guys. He said, in Switzerland, I still have not found a Christian community, which I can call my home. I have been living in a state of isolation for a long time. In particular, this year as a result of the corona lockdowns and restrictions. But this year has turned out to be a blessing in a variety of ways. This prayer group, in essence, is God's answer and and response for my plea for community with other Christian brothers and sisters. Isn't that incredible? That a church can find someone through something like a church website, a YouTube channel, a prayer group, And all those things ultimately lead to a real encounter with Christ. Isn't that why we're here? Isn't that the reason the church is here? To lead people to encounter Christ on a daily basis? And we did that through something like YouTube. YouTube or a podcast, just like a star, can lead people to Jesus and invite them into this life-changing story. Now, you might say, this is great, Dylan, and that's a really cool story, but weren't the Magi followers of a different faith? Or weren't they living in a different worldview? How can God use things like that to lead people to him? 
Now, I want to introduce you to someone else, a man named Alistair McGrath, who is a scientist who grew up in Northern Ireland during the 1960s. Now, from a very young age, Alistair considered himself an atheist, and he saw no need for religion. In fact, he said he thought religion was only suitable for the elderly, the intellectually feeble, and the fraudulently religious. Ouch. But what's even crazier is his story of finding God. Because you see, Alistair went to college at Oxford, and he zealously studied chemistry and quantum theory. He had no interest in faith, but at his, during his time at Oxford, his views started to change. And they didn't change necessarily through him reading the Bible or going through to church, but his views changed as he pursued science. Because you see, as Alistair pursued chemistry and quantum theory, he realized that the atheism he believed in had more questions than he thought. And the more and more he pursued science, the more and more he realized that he needed better answers. And this is when he met Christians in his field. And this is when he was re-exposed to Jesus. And before he knew it, Alistair was a follower of Christ. And what I love about this story is that God used Alistair's pursuit of science to lead him to God. Just how God used the Magi's pursuit of astrology to lead them to Jesus 2,000 years ago. And I think at a church like the story, where our mission is to inspire non-religious people to follow Jesus, we need to know the story of the Magi. We need to know that God's truth remains unchanged, but our sharing of it can change. I mean, think about it. How boring would it be if every Christian had the exact same story or testimony of how they met Jesus? Imagine if everyone was just like me and they said, well, when I was in second grade, I said a prayer and I became a Christian. That wouldn't only be boring, but people would begin to not believe our faith. They wouldn't think it's sincere. I would argue that unusual stories like Magi following stars or people from Switzerland finding a prayer group on YouTube or scientists finding God through science is what makes our faith so believable and so powerful. Because those of us in the church, we all have different stories. We all have different paths. But what unites us is us meeting in Jesus, us finding Jesus together. And we need to know that even though some of these different paths, like astrology or science or yoga or YouTube or different faiths and different worldviews might make us uncomfortable, God can use those things to lead people to him. And once they start having those deeper questions and deeper thoughts, they meet Jesus. And once you meet Jesus, we all have to decide how to respond. And the book of Matthew gives us two very clear options on how we can respond when we meet Jesus. The first is to respond in fear and insecurity like Herod did. Because when Herod finds out about the news of Jesus, he decides to kill all the baby boys in the region 
two years old and younger in order to try to kill Jesus. Because Herod was a king. So anyone who threatened his power or threatened his authority had to die. I have a question for you. Do you feel threatened by Jesus? Now, I'm not saying you're going to hatch a plan to kill all the babies in the region, but I do wonder how we respond when we hear the news that there is another king in town. And that king is not you. Because if we're all being honest, all of us see ourselves as the center of our universe, right? Like my thoughts, my, emo- my emotions, my views, my truth is my truth, and no one can question that. We begin to worship ourselves and make ourselves our own little G gods. We bow down to our own views and opinions. But Jesus had something else to say. Jesus says he is the king. And we are to love God above everyone else and love others as ourselves. And this means we can love ourselves. Don't get me wrong. We are supposed to love and care for ourselves, but we have to love God more. And we're called to love everyone around us in the same way. This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Herod couldn't. So while the Magi went on the short six-mile journey to meet Jesus, Herod sat in his palace by himself because his fear and insecurity didn't allow him to bow down to Jesus. Now that we saw how Herod responded, let's see what the Magi do in Matthew 2, 9 through 11. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So the Magi follow the star that they've been hunting for maybe years, and they finally get to the house. Can you imagine getting to the house after following the star for maybe two years? And once they get there, the text says they are overjoyed. And they go in the house, and, and this is when we tend to focus on their cool gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But this isn't the first gift they give to Jesus. Do you know what the first gift is? It's worship. The first thing they do when coming into the house is they see the child and his mother and they bowed down and worshiped him. Worship is always the most important gift we can bring. Can the same be said for our lives and our hearts this Christmas season? And you know, I'm not a Grinch. I love Christmas, as I said before. And I love the feeling of opening this really nerdy map I got this Christmas of Texas. And it's in like a Lord of the Ring font, but I loved it. And I love seeing my wife open this beautiful stained art glass piece that her mother had been working on for months. And I love seeing the joy in her face 
when she opened the gift. But if our Christmas is centered around the presence and not worship, then our happiness will disappear after Christmas Day. The Christmas spirit that Eric talked about on Christmas Eve will disappear, and we will end up wondering, what's What's next? The lesson we learn from the Magi this Christmas is not to give bigger or better presents, but the lesson we learn is we need to be people of worship, especially during the Christmas season. And I think the Magi teach us three very simple things about worship. First off, worship is not a one-day thing. You don't do it just on Christmas Day and Easter or just one day a week on Sundays, but worship is a daily decision. Daily, we have to bow down and worship Jesus. Secondly, we must choose one thing to worship. We can't worship both Jesus and ourselves. We either have to choose to be like Herod and worship ourselves and fear and security or be like the Magi and choose to worship Jesus. And thirdly, and finally, worship has to change us. Let's read verse 12. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When the wise men meet Jesus, it literally changes everything about them. So much so that they have to go home on a different route. Because you see, the Magi no longer worship the idol of politics or King Herod. The Magi no longer worship the star in the sky. The Magi found the one thing that's worth all of our worship, and that is Jesus. And that is the present we can all find this Christmas season. And in the same way as the Magi, we have to change once we meet Jesus. Some of us have to leave our stars behind so we can pursue the one thing that truly matters. And a word to some of our friends who still feel like they haven't met Jesus that feel like they're still searching for their star and still following their star in the sky, all I would ask you to do is to keep searching, keep pressing, keep asking good questions because I promise Jesus is nearby. I would encourage you to join us here at The Story for our next sermon series as we talk about the meaning of life. I would encourage you to join us for one of our smaller discipleship groups because I promise I promise, if you keep searching, you will find Jesus. So keep following that star. And for those of us here who have found the star, for those of us who have found Jesus, what road are you taking home this Christmas season? As Eric said, I think we all really needed Christmas this year. We all got here on this really weary road that was marked by suffering, fear, anxiety, doubt, depression, hostility, and I feel like we almost barely made it to Christmas. But the good news is we made it. 
And we made it to Christmas Day, and I pray you experience the hope, joy, and peace that only Jesus can provide. But now that you've experienced Christmas, how are you going to go home? How are you going to move forward? You can't stay on Christmas break forever. Are you going to go back on the same road you came here on, that road of 2020 that was full of baggage? Or will you carve a new road? A road that is marked by worship, love of God, and love of one another as we love ourselves. I pray this Christmas that we learn a lesson from the Magi. And that lesson is not that we need to give better Christmas presents, but that lesson is we need to be people of worship. So let us worship Jesus, worship daily, and let our worship change us. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, I thank you for the joy of Christmas season. I thank you that we all made it here after a 2020 that just felt like it would never end, God. But we've made it. We've made it to Christmas. and We've experienced you in hopefully a life-changing way. And I pray that as we look towards the new year, as we look towards 2021, that we would carve a new path home, that we would take a new road into the new year, that we would be joyful messengers of your good news, who worship you with everything we have and share this good news with others, Lord. Let us not go back and be the same people we were in 2020, but let us joyfully skip forward into the new year, dancing the medley of the good news you have given, Lord. I pray that we are followers who are just so in love with you that we cannot help but share this good news with one another. And Lord, for those here that are still searching or still have questions or still aren't sure about this Jesus character, Lord, I pray that they would keep searching, that they would keep asking good questions and that they would find you, Lord. We know that you are nearby, God, so we pray that those who are searching would find you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day and we thank you for the gift of your, you. In Jesus' name, amen.